Welcome to the Sunday Morning Podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Burgess Hill. This message is by Kevin Vanderput. Remember Romans 8, if you remember anything. We are going to read through the book of Romans, a book, the chapter Romans 8 today. Now, our key verses are at the end of the chapter is the bit titled More Than Conquerors. Um, but actually, we're going to read the whole chapter today. Um, why? Because I think it's packed with truth, just like the whole of the Bible, you're going to tell me. But this chapter, if there's, any, if there's anything you pick out of the Bible, if there's any one chapter that defines how we should live or what Jesus has accomplished, what it means for us today, there is so much in those 39 verses of Romans chapter 8. So it's important to go over it and it's important to let the words do the work. You know, sometimes we, we preach and it's great and we give illustrations and that's great, but actually we don't really need to add anything to this. This is the word of God. There is nothing to be added to that. It is truth. It is all that we need. So we're going to read through it all and we're going to take our time. And third, why are we going to read through it all? Because our key verse starts by saying, verse 31 of chapter 8 says, What then shall we say in response to these things? Exactly. You're probably wondering, well, what things is that? What is he talking about? And so Paul forces us to go back over the rest of the chapter by just saying this question. In this little section that we're going to read in More Than Conquerors, Paul's just firing questions. You've probably noticed he loves doing that. It's actually a way that the teachers taught at the time. They ask questions to create a reaction to then establish a truth, right? So they're constantly asking questions to provoke a thought process in people's minds. And, uh, and then he will elaborate on the question he's asked and come to a conclusion by the end of a chapter or the middle of a chapter or whatever. Here, in that little, those few verses, 31 to 39, he's just firing questions after questions. He's not even adding anything to it because he's like, what more can I say? How more plainly can I put that this is the truth, this is how we should live, and this is what it means for you? There's nothing more to be said than that. So he's asking first, what then shall we say in response to all these things? Now there's three options. All these things can mean either the things he's just said right before, verse 30, the thing he said in the whole of this chapter, or the things he said in the whole book, which is why I was asking, what did you get out of this Roman series? Um, but we're not going to reread the whole book today, so we're just going to focus on chapter 8. So we're going to start verse 1. Are you all right with that? Yes. So if you've got your Bible, physical Bible, phone Bible, take it out, read along, or you can read on the screen. It will come up as well. Let's let the word do the work. It says in my version, um, life through the spirit is the title of the beginning of the chapter. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, what a way to start this, right? What more do we need than this? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ 
Jesus. If you believe in Jesus this morning, there is no condemnation. God doesn't condemn you. The enemy might try and whisper all sorts of stuff to you, might try to sow some lies here and there. We might condemn ourselves from time to time and be really harsh on ourselves, but actually from God's hand, there is nothing coming, no condemnation in for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if he doesn't condemn us, then we really, sh- we really shouldn't either, I think at least. So we can live free from shame, from guilt, from all those things. Now, I'm telling you, this is a great way to start the chapter, but I, I said we will read through it, so we're going to keep reading, right? Verse 2. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness, sorry, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Here's a great tip for Paul from Paul, right? Verse 6. Let's not let our mind be consumed, sorry, by the things of this world, not ruled by those things, because we won't find peace in any of that, right? The mind governed by the flesh, by, by whatever desire, fleshly desire there is, is leading to death. But if we let it be ruled by the Spirit, by the things of God, then we will find peace and life. Thank you, Jesus. It says, verse 7, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, verse 9, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. This is so good. The word of God is so good. There is life and the fullness of the spirit of God living in each of us. Do you realize what that means? I I said we will stick to the word, but... Do you realize what that means? I think we live by every single day just trotting along, but we have the fullness of who God is inside of us. His spirit lives in us, and that changes everything. Everything that Jesus said, what? You will accomplish all these things and much more, right? All of these things that Jesus has done, we can do because his spirit is in us. Today, the fullness of who he is lives inside of us, and that spirit gives us life and life in abundance. 
We just need to decide to draw from it and live by it. And therefore, brothers and sisters, verse 12, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So we want to live by the Spirit because verse 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. You are all children of God this morning. The spirit you receive does not make you a slave so that you will live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought you adoption to sonship. And we do not need to live in fear. You do not need to live in fear. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. But rather, it brings you to adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testified with our spirit that we are God's children. And now if we are children, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share his glory. We are co-heirs with Christ. We've been placed on a seat of position and that position never changes. Our performance might change, right? But our position never changes. God, Jesus, through his sacrifice has made us righteous. We stand righteous in front of God. We've seen that in previous chapters, right? But we are seated in that position and that position will never change. We are, our position is constant. Our performance might go up and down and, you know, we might sin. We might, we might, you know, be distracted by things every now and then or whatever, but our position never changed. We never have to try and earn that position again because it has been freely given to us. Abba, Father, we are God's children. Thank you, Jesus. And Kate um, Collins' wife, she's going to be preaching next week to the whole church, and she'll go more into that chapter. Her, her uh, message really focuses on that, that section about, you know, being children, adoption, sonship, and all of that. So I won't go too much more into that. But let's keep reading. Uh, there's a new section. It says, present suffering and future glory. Verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Creation is waiting, right? Eagerly waiting for the glory of God to be revealed. Where's that glory? In us, in each of us, right? Why does it say, let your light shine or be a city on a hill, a light that cannot be hidden? Because that glory is in us. We need to come out and let that shine so that many will be brought to the freedom that we know. Paul goes on to say, verse 20, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be liberated by his, from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. 
What is Paul saying? You've been made children of God. You have something that the rest of creation doesn't have. And the rest of creation is longing for that so much. And so you guys need to come out, be revealed, so that the glory of God may infect, if you'd like, for lack of a better word, the rest of creation so that they can be brought into the freedom and glory that you now know. Verse 22. We know that the whole of creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption to some ship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have yet, we wait patiently oh sorry but if we hope for what we do not yet have there you go we wait for it patiently what is he talking about he's talking about the return of Christ right we hope and wait patiently on that return of our savior verse 26 in the same way the spirit helps us in our weakness the spirit helps us in our weakness he is our helper right? When we are weak, when we don't have answers, when we get stuck, whatever circumstances may be there, the Spirit is there to help us. He is our helper. We are never alone. We are never left to our own demise. We are with the Spirit because He is in us and He is there to help us. It then says, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes through us through wordless groans. He who searches our heart know the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Have you ever found yourself where you knew you wanted to pray for something, what a prayer meeting or, or whatever, you set time apart to pray and you're just like, God, I just don't know what to pray. Or there's a situation and you're like, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know, I don't know what even to, you know, you can have that when you pray for big things or the, the nation or whatever. You're like, what, what even, like right now, the government, everything that's going on, what do we pray? What do we pray over this? What is your will, God? The Spirit is there to help us to actually, uh, there's so many stories in the Bible, we're talking about that, or the all-night prayer. Um, there's so many stories where people inquire of the Lord, right? And that is what we do when we come into that place of prayer, when we shut the door and spend time with God, and we, we know we want to pray for whatever things, we inquire of the Lord, God, what are you saying? Holy Spirit, what do you want me to release, to pray for? How do you want me to pray? And sometimes it might be, hey, just wait. Just be in my presence. Sometimes you might have a clear picture. Sometimes God might lead you to a story that will give you clues on what to release and how to pray. This is what walking in step with the Spirit looks in prayer, right? So the Spirit helps us in life, but also helps us in our prayer. And then comes one of the most famous verses of the Bible probably, but so, so good and so important. It says, verse 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. I'm going to read that again. We know that in all things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purposes. Now, do you love God today? Would you say, I love Jesus? 
I know God, I'm a son of God, we've just said that, right? So you qualify, you qualify here, you love him. So we know that in your life, in everything you are going to face and have faced, everything will work for your good because he has called you according to his purposes. All things, all things, nothing is set to the side or we're not sure about that. All things work for the good of those who love him. He has a plan. He's the man with a plan. He is never, oh, I, I didn't see that coming. I, oh, I didn't expect that. Oh, wait, you went that way? I was No, he knows all things, and he has a plan for your life, for mine. He has a plan, and, and we want to work out what that plan is so hard. <laughs> we want to know every little detail. We want to know what's going to happen tomorrow, but seven years and 32 days from now, we want to know because it makes us feel in control, and that, in that way, we can rest. Let me tell you, I often thought I knew what the plan was, and my life turned out a completely different way. I've realized that there's no point in me trying to work out what that plan is. There's no point in me trying to work. And I'm someone that can be quite like anxious when I don't know what the future holds. I like to have a picture. I like to have a plan. And, and, and I'm not too worried about how we're going to get there as long as I know where we're going, if that makes sense. So, um, but often I find that I don't know where we're going, and that's okay. You don't need to work out the plan. You just have to trust the one who's got the plan, who knows, who's put it all together. Trusting that as we go along with that plan, all will be well. Thank you, Lord. Verse 29. Are you enjoying this? Because I'm loving it, right? It's so good to just go verse by verse and just read it all through. Verse 29, it says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So not only did God call you, like Kev, I want a, I want a relationship with you. I have a, a plan for you. So he called us into relationship with him, but then he justified us just as if we had never sinned. He made it all go away, made us a new creation. He also glorified, right? There's a verse that says we go from glory to glory. We are being transformed into his likeness as we live life with him. So much good news this morning. And so we get back to the verse that we started with. We've now read most of the chapter, and it says, verse 31, what then shall we say of all these things, right? He's just dropped so much goodness on us, so much truth, so much of what God has done and what it means. And then Paul's like, what more can I say? What more shall I say? What can we say in response to all these things? And then another one of those painted on your wall versus or whatever, like, you know, frame it and very popular. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? The if there in the Greek doesn't mean if as in English. Uh, I would tell you the word and all of that, but I'm not going to mess up the pronunciation. If there means more like since. Right? So since God is for us, who can be against us? Since God is for you, who can be against you? What can be against you? Right? God is, well, God is saying, I mean, yes, through Paul, God is saying, 
If all of this is true, let's say those 30 verses from chapter 8 are true, then that means God is for you. And if God is for you, the creator of the universe, the one who brought life, the one who's redeemed all things, the one who has a plan for the future, he's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, right? If the one who is all of that is for you, then who, what can come against you? Uh, Clive shared the other week, I think he did anyway, he did certainly in a team meeting, but I'm pretty sure he did on a Sunday. He was sharing um, about stuff and he mentioned this uh, verse in 2 Timothy 3, 4. It says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. See, it's not so much about just learning stuff and having head knowledge of concepts of the Bible or who God is or we can have all of that knowledge, but it's what we are convinced of that we are living by. I can have all of that knowledge and still not live by it, but what we are convinced of it, what has come from here to here and is anchored in our hearts and and just we breathe it out and in every day, that is what we live by, right? If God is for us, who can be against us? God is for you today. God is for you. And it's not something you should just No, because it's a famous verse, but that we need to be convinced of, that whatever is going on in life, whatever situation is happening, whatever people might say, whatever, whatever, God is for you. He's on your side. And that means that whatever is coming against you, it cannot succeed. It's not that it might not or whatever. It's just that it cannot succeed because God is undefeated. God is undefeated. And let me tell you, he's never going to know defeat. It's not like it's going to happen tomorrow for the first time. Oh, he got knocked out. No. He's never going to know defeat. Nothing can come against him and win. And you see, once people start not only believing that in their head, but living that out, being convinced of it, you get some crazy stories, right? The Bible is full of them. Crazy stories like like Gideon, the guy who goes with 300 people against a full army. Let me tell you, there's a better one. There's a guy named Jonathan in the Bible, right? And Jonathan's a bit crazy because he's going against his dad, who's the king, because he has a great bromance going on with David. And, and, you know, he's going against his dad to support David. And uh, anyway, crazy life. But there's this passage in 1 Samuel 13 where Jonathan wakes up and uh, his dad's there, the whole army is there. So imagine like a camp going on and there's an, there's an army of uh, the Philistines uh, just across somewhere there, not so far. And uh, they're about to go and attack the Philistines. It's wartime, it's whatever. Um, and Jonathan wakes up one day and he has this great idea, right? He says to his army guy, um, so it must be his second best mate after David. And he says to him, look, I got this great idea. Why don't we, now listen to this, yeah, (laughs) you get a, I don't know. Why don't we not wait on the whole army to get ready, but you and me, mate, you and me, we just go out and we take these guys and then we come back and, you know, we can all go home and enjoy a, 
a nice barbecue or whatever. Imagine how just nuts that concept is. The guy woke up and was like, yep, I think this is a great plan. Me and my army guy, we're going to go against the Philistine, this outpost, so the first post of the Philistine army, and we're going to destroy them. We don't need my dad. We don't need the whole army, just me and him. And here's, here's why. Here's why, because he's not completely crazy. You know, he's experienced God's faithfulness and goodness in his life. So here's his justification for his plan to his armor bearer, because he's trying to convince the guy to, you know, go and and attack people. And he says this in 1 Samuel 13, because nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Here's a guy that doesn't just know that God is for him. He is convinced that God is for him. He is convinced that nothing can come against him and succeed because God is on his side. God is on his side. Through everything he's going through in life, through whatever experience he might have, God is on his side. And he's convinced of it, has zero doubt. And he's like, I don't care that we're just two of us. We're going to take them because the Lord is on our side and the Lord is greater than any army. Now, we might not be facing armies today. We, yeah, I don't know about you, but I don't, you know, so... But actually, there's situations that come up. There's things that come up at work, in life, family, friends, things, circumstances, just crazy things going on with the nation, with the cost of living. All of that can be like an army coming against us. It can feel like that sometimes. But know that whatever is setting itself up against you cannot succeed. Like Jonathan, we need to be convinced of that and live in the good of that. Not let anything get, um, get us all shaken up because nothing can hinder the Lord from saving whether by many or by few. Jonathan believed that. And so he goes on, right? Yeah, because I need to tell you the rest of the story. He goes on to attack the Philistine. With his armor bearer. So the armor bearer was like, armor bearer has faith as well, right? Because he's like, mate, I'm with you until death. We got this. Let's go and take them. And, and did you ask for a sign from the Lord? Did you ask for a sign of the Lord? And the Lord gives them the sign. And so they go and they basically, I mean, it must be like one of those scenes from an epic war movie. But the two guys take off like, I don't know how many guys and slay them all, and then they come back and they, they go to his dad and they're like, job done, dad. We, we did it, you know, all good. What a story. And, and this can be your story. That's my point. This can be your story. You can say, just like Jonathan did, we're going to go and take this army of uncircumcised people, he goes at one point. This army of uncircumcised people. You know, you can say this as a person, whatever situation, we're going to take it, Lord, because I know you are with me. I'm not going to let myself be defeated by those things because you are with me. And if you are for me, nothing can stand against me. We need to change our perspective on things. We are victorious. And there's another story that is so point, poignant, point. So I pronounced it kind of right. It illustrates perfectly our points, so I'm going to share it as well. Uh, it's a story when Elisha 
is, uh, is standing there against the Aramaeans. So other army, other people, but Elisha, we know him. And the king is sending his army against him because he knows that he's been speaking the word of God. And so he's thinking, if I take out the man of God, then I'll be good, right? So he sends his army against Elisha. Let's read it together. It says, it'll come up on the side. Go find out where he is, the king ordered. So that's the bad guy, king of Arameans. So I can send men and capture him, talking about Elisha. The report came back. He's in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When a servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. So again, a bit like the armor bearer with Jonathan, uh, right-hand man of Elisha, goes out and just checks on the situation and freaks out because this army is coming their way. So he comes back to Elisha and he's like, oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed this, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots and fire all around Elisha. Now here's a change of perspective, right? Where he thought, this is just two of us and this whole army's coming against us. This is it. We toast. We're done. Elisha was at peace. He knew that whatever would self itself up, set itself up against them, they were more with them than against them because the Lord was for them. Thank you, Jesus. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love him. God wants us to succeed. He wants us to prosper. He is a good father. He is for us. I think I've gone enough on this now, but let's, let's keep reading Romans 8, um, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Now, again, this is an amazing verse. God has already done the biggest thing for us. He's already given you the cake, the icing, the cherry on top. He's given you his son to die on the cross for you so that you can have a brand new life. So what is Paul saying? If he's done that, don't you think he's going to take care of all your little things? All the little things that come up in life that might feel like big things to us, fair enough, but to God, they're not. Paul is saying He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? He's already defeated evil. He has done all of that. Then why wouldn't he help with the rest? That is what Paul is saying. Matthew says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? He is The perfect father. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 33, Romans 8. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Again, it's like a throwback to verse 1 of chapter 8. No one can condemn us because God does not. God does not condemn us. He has chosen us. And then it says, Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. 
Jesus is interceding for you today. He didn't just go to heaven and to take an early retirement. You know, my job is done on earth. Like, I can relax now. No, he's there interceding on our behalf. Another verse in the Bible in Hebrews says this, Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, amen, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus is praying for you today. I don't know how that makes you feel, but I know as a kid, or even now today, we are privileged with awesome sets of parents, Sharon and I, and they're always praying for us. Like, they'll tell us, you know, oh, we've been praying for you, like on the phone after two weeks of not talking to them because we couldn't be bothered. We call them, and they're like, oh, we've been praying for you guys. Like, oh, I couldn't be bothered to call you, and you're praying for me. Like, how, you know, we've been, but it makes us feel good. Not only in a fluffy way, but knowing that we are supported, you know, in prayer by people, it should make us feel like that. How much more should the fact that Jesus is interceding for you right now, praying for you, for whatever is going on, and all of that should make us feel like, wow, God is so good. He's on my side. Jesus is praying. What more do we need? What more do we need? Thank you, Jesus. How powerful is that we have an advocate that is standing in the gap for us every single day. Then it says, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. Can you say more than conquerors? conquerors. Uh, Let's say it like we believe it now. More than conquerors. Come on. A bit like Jonathan. Let's have it. We are more than conquerors. Uh, This is how some of you need to get up in the morning. You just need to tell yourself, hey, this is a good day. Feet on the ground. I'm more than a conqueror. You know, but let's have the day like that because nothing can set itself up against you and succeed. But for I am convinced, and again, another post-verse thing. I told you this was a great chapter. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. For the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord, that is better. Nothing can separate us from that love. Nothing can come in between us and God. Nothing you have done, nothing you'll ever do, nothing you're going to say or have said, God is for you and that never will change. He does not leave us or forsake us. His love is perfect in every way. Uh, people say, and we've been hearing it a lot just because, you know, Sharon's pregnant. Uh, people say that when you become a dad, you understand something like a fresh revelation of the heart of the father and and how much actually 
God loves his children or when you become a mom, when you have children, you understand something fresh of actually how God loves his children and what that means. Because as a dad or as a mom, you know, you love your children and would do anything for them and whatever. And, and, and I'm not sure I, I fully realized that, but it's funny because I think I'm starting to get there in the sense that in a month about we, we might have uh, a little one. Yeah, because, yeah, it doesn't matter. In about a month. Um, our son will be born, and and you know what? I'm so excited, and uh, and I'm and we've Sharon. Oh, sometimes she's just rubbing the belly, and she's I love you so much, baby boy, and um and it's really cute because baby boy hasn't done anything. He hasn't shown up. We don't even know what he's gonna look like. We don't even know, you know, like, but we already love him. And that love is unconditional. He didn't have to earn anything from us. He didn't have to show up and be a good boy and, and, and I don't know, and serve the Lord for 20 years or whatever before. No, we already love him before anything starts. And that's the way God is with you. God loves you. His love is freely given and will forever be there because you are his kid. You are God's kid nothing can separate you from his love and if you ever need a reminder of those things go and read Romans 8 it's it's something we need to be convinced of and live by not just like oh yeah I kind of know that Romans 8 is a good chapter or like you know I remember us talking about that at some point no it's something we need to be convinced of. Nothing can separate us from his love. And because of that, God is for us. And because of that, we are more than conquerors. It should define who we are. Are we going to pray, if that's okay? And then um, we'll, uh, we'll have the announcements and all of that and finish. But yeah, let's just, let's just thank God for a minute. Father, I thank you. I thank you for who you are, how amazing you are, Lord. I never want to take any of those truths for granted, Lord, what it means that what you have accomplished for me, how much you love me, how much I don't deserve that love and I can never earn that love, but yet that love is freely given fully to me. That you are for us. For each of us, Lord, there is no situation that is too great, nothing that can come up that would make you say, oh, wait, I don't got that. No, Lord, you got all things in your hands. You are for us. There is more on our side than there is on whatever other side is facing us because you are there. Lord, help us see that in our everyday life. Help us be like the servant of Elijah and have Elisha and have that, that change of perspective. When fear is trying to rise up, when circumstances become a bit crazy, when whatever is said by other people, let us not listen to fear because you have given us a spirit so that we might not live in fear again, Romans 8 said early on in the chapter. Father, we do not want to live in fear. We live in the good of what you have done and who you are because you are for us. You are for us. Father, we don't want to live this, leave this moment, leave this morning and just pack it neatly in a box and say, oh, that was nice. Father, we want to be convinced of those truths. Convinced of those truths every single day. 
Father, I pray that the seed of your word this morning would just find itself into good soil, the soil of each of our hearts, and bear much fruit, that it would take root and bear much fruit, that it will change our lives, that we can be bold and confident. We don't have to be afraid, ashamed, or worried. Even though the world is, even though everything goes into chaos, even though everything might be crazy, we know there's one reality, that you are the rock who is unshakable, unmovable, who never changes. And the truth of Romans 8 never changes either. We are more than conquerors. More than conquerors. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.